Louisa Williams is an MS, DC, and ND, and she lives in Austin, Texas, and is the author of an incredible book, Radical Medicine. Dr. Williams practices according to this radical medicine philosophy by addressing such core issues as heavy metal and petrochemical detoxification, clearing dental, tonsil, sinus, and other focal infections, treating scar interference fields, identifying significant malocclusions, prescribing constitutional homeopathic remedies and natural nutritional supplements, uncovering major hidden food sensitivities, and counseling patients on the importance of nutrient-dense, wise traditions diet. So welcome, Dr. Williams. I'm really honored that you're on this class today. Oh, thank you, Christine, for having me. It's, it's great homecoming for us to see each other again. I know, I know. It's been a few years since we you know, connected uh, in this way, but you have been an incredible mentor to me throughout my learning. And I I often reference this, Louisa, when I'm um, doing interviews that when your book came out, Radical Medicine, I was in naturopathic school and you had come to Bastier for a brown bag lunch and you asked the audience, what is the first thing that you do when you, you know, have a new patient come in and we're all like, oh, take them off gluten, you know, whatever. And you're like, look in their mouth. And so I was just really moved by that. And I remember I think at that time I got your book out of the library and I would just tote radical medicine like around me um, for years. And it's a huge book and an incredible work. You know, it's a work of art in so many ways. And so I just, I'm really glad we're coming together and really getting the word out about biological medicine because I think it's such an important topic, especially now. Yeah. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. So, well, one of the things that we really want to introduce to the audience today, and we're going to dive deeper in our advanced training on uh, foci, and we'll go into interference fields, but this is really, I feel, the strength of the medicine that you've taught me. Why do some patients get well and some people are really blocked in their healing capacity? And so what you've taught me is to look at these, this idea of foci or focal infections. So can you share with us, what, what are we talking about? Yeah, and uh, I was thinking about how to begin to explain this big subject, mm-hmm. and I'd like to begin with the history. You know, when we're in school, when we're studying the scientific method, Christine, the first thing we learn is review the history, you know, study that. And I think it's important for people to know that this is not a brand new term that we just started using and doing. This was very well known. Foci were very well known in the 1700s, 1800s, early 1900s. For example, Dorland's Dictionary, Dorland's Medical Dictionary, our Bible, says that a foci is the starting point of disease, starting point of disease. That's just in the classic Dorland's Dictionary. Uh, Boyd's Pathology, which is the Bible of pathology, Boyd's Pathology, defines a dental focal infection as a symptomatic or asymptomatic can be both, can be quiet and silent, as we know, infection that can cause symptoms distal from the site. And that's what we're going to be talking about is that's where it can be confusing and our colleagues can miss it all the time because a patient can have a a, uh, dental focal infection and chronic hip pain and the doctor or practitioner just focuses on the hip pain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's such a great point. And I think biological medicine and the medicine that we practice 
when it's not a new, you know, a new paradigm where it's rooted in this strong tradition that really got lost, I think, with the, you know, if we go back to the Flexner report and kind of the, um, there were so many homeopathic schools at the time, right, that eventually went out of business and the rise of the AMA. And we're still, you know, in that, um, you know, aftermath, if you will, of a sea change in how we approach health. And so, so coming back to this idea, I want to really land on that. So if a foci is the starting point of an infection or of a maybe a pathology or chronic illness, what are we talking about and why are these harmful for our health? Yeah, well, I mean, again, just a little more history here. Benjamin Rush, the father of medicine. He was an MD in the 1700s, early 1800s. He was George Washington's doctor for a period of time, and he's called the father of medicine. He was you know, a renowned physician in our country's history. He would pull an infected tooth, extract an infected tooth and cure rheumatism. Joint pain was just, you know, epidemic as it is still now. And dyspepsia, which what do we have now? You know, ulcers and GERD. Everybody's getting this diagnosis of GERD and epilepsy and all these other things just by pulling a tooth, you know. And and so uh, it was incredible. And Dr. Weston A. Price, speaking of history, same thing. You know, he found the same thing in Cincinnati as a holistic dentist that he would diagnose the teeth if there was a problem. He was curing severe heart disease, kidney disease, brain symptoms, again, seizures, that kind of thing, lassitude, a word they used then. What do we call that now? Chronic fatigue syndrome, right? All these things that were happening. I just wanted to begin with the fact that in the Weston A. Price Foundation, the great nutrition foundation that we're all a part of and believe in, they talk about the wise traditions of our ancestors. And we are also looking at the wise traditions of these holistic physicians in our past that knew all this information. And then it got lost and it mainly got lost with the Flexner and all that. But it mainly dentally got lost in the mid 1900s with the rise of endodontics, root canals. All of a sudden, root canals came into being in the mid 20th century. And what drug was discovered in the mid 20th century? Antibiotics. Mm -hmm. So you could mitigate, you know, that infection and, you know, wouldn't have to pull teeth. And of course, patients said, yeah, I'll take the I'll take the pills. I want my teeth pulled. So uh, there's beautiful history. Again, in my book, I've got five chapters devoted to this whole thing because there's this rise of focal infections and amazing research and information they were finding. And then the fall in the 20th century where they were just castigated and treated as terrible doctors, et cetera of the drugs and root canals that came into being. So we lost a lot of that information and we're trying to regain it now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you work close, and we all work closely uh, with dentists, you know, to really recover someone's health. And so there are these organizations that are trying to keep this information in the forefront, you know, the IAOMT, and then you're also closely connected. I can never remember the acronym for the other. IABDM. Yeah, we were the where the biological dentist at Irana started, brought a lot of doctors from Europe. The term biological dentist, that comes from Europe. It's not, you know, it's holistic dentist in America, biological dentist. We like to use biological dentist because we really follow a lot of the wisdom and teaching that came out for focal infections from Europe. 
Yeah, and we're going to have a whole um, lecture on dentistry and how that impacts health. But again, we'll go deeper into these topics in a moment. But again, for people to understand, so they're thinking maybe I'm been sick for a long time, or I have a patient who I can't get better, you know, really will instruct and inform how to look at uh, the mouth, but also look at these, um, these foci uh, potentially that could be at the root cause of many of these chronic conditions. And so their foci in the mouth, and then where else can they be located? Yeah. So focus and foci, it's these terms can be confusing, but I like to call like a dominant focus or a significant focus or a focus like a big umbrella term Uh are two different types scars Uh we call scar interference fields and focal infections focal infections are mainly above the neck Uh teeth muscle sinus so very clear so the focal infections here are the scars in the body so uh again uh this came out of germany and europe the the scars can be internal or external scars it can be adhesions from surgery Uh, It can be external scars. And again, it can be subtle and silent, just like the teeth or the tonsils, because your appendectomy scar may feel fine. You don't notice anything. That knee surgery scar may be fine, but it can be an interference feel, an irritation to the nervous system locally, and also cause problems distally that you'd have no idea about. In fact, the famous Dr. Hunicke in the 1940s made neural therapy, and that's our main treatment for these uh, foci, uh, famous by injecting a a left shin scar on a woman and her right frozen shoulder all of a sudden lost pain, the pain reduced, and she was able to get full range of motion. So, I mean, when you think about that left leg and the right shoulder, that is just, that was an amazing and classic example of how these scars can be so insidious. Yeah, that was Dr. Hunicke, and then he started and, you know, others started this treatment of neural therapy. And neural therapy as a primary treatment for scars with injection, or you can also use massage or homeopathics with massage or laser light, or you can use in uh, acupuncture, the Chinese talk about surrounding the dragon of the scar, you know, you can do that. And um, what I like to do is begin the patient with a home treatment, which is especially good for episiotomy or circumcision or more, you know, personal scars. So I use two products, Notasan and Aspersan. Mm -hmm. These are, as you know, isopathic products. They're the Notasan is like a natural anti-inflammatory, natural antibiotic. Aspersan goes a little deeper to treat and it's a little stronger and also is an anti-inflammatory. I hate to call Notasan though an anti-inflammatory because it's not an antibiotic. It actually reduces the ill effects from antibiotics. And I love these drops. I use them like crazy because they don't cause a reaction because they don't kill, kill, kill. You know, Christine, a lot of our colleagues, you know, they'll, they want to kill the bugs. You've got to be very circumspect in how you attack chronic bacteria. Generally, I like to use that example, uh, acute illness is like a fire flaming and you, you start feeling signs of a flu or, you know, you go home and you take your 
oscillococcinum and you do some noticin and you get in bed and you drink, you do, you hit it hard. You take high doses of whatever you need to, but that works because you're hitting fire with fire. Mm -hmm. Chronic disease is like smoldering embers. And when you use oregano oil or hydrogen peroxide or ozone or something on a chronic issue, it can flare it up and cause Mm -hmm. such a reaction, such a Herx reaction that you go, you know, two steps forwards and maybe five steps backwards. So that's why I love these drops so much. So the home protocol is to, you know, take a scar, rub some Notisan on, then rub some coconut oil or shea butter on, Notisan and Aspersan alternating, and do this once or twice a day for three three to four weeks, depending mm-hmm. on your scars. Then when the patient comes back in the office, y'all do your ART testing, and you see if any of those scars are disturbing. And I do my MRT testing and I see if there's any left. And if they are, I'll, I'll treat with a laser or whatever else is needed to really reduce those scars. Again, we all have scars. It's just a fact of life. So, but we need to reduce that neurological noise mm-hmm. in the body. So I think it's good for everybody to do that scar protocol. Now, what are the results? About 50-50. As you know, some patients come back, they don't feel anything. Couldn't tell a thing. Other patients go, you know, I'm calmer or, you know, my low back pain after I treated my appendix scar that was reflexing through the nerves into the low back is better. So you don't always get outstanding results, but, you know, obvious results. But I explained to the patient, the nervous system, the body's calmer, it's quieter. You know, it's more available for healing now. So, yeah, such great information. And again, our goal is, you know, we're looking at biological medicine. And then Dr. James O'Dell is on the uh, class and he calls it bioregulatory medicine at this point. And what we're trying to always do is how to remove these noises or these interferences or these infections so the body can um, self regulate and heal. And I think both of us and a lot of the physicians on the, in the class are really talking about our collective clinical experience, how we see this day in and day out. And I always think of one um, really obvious example, just to bring this to life, to life too. I remember injecting a woman's mole removal scar on her back and her heart palpitations went away, right? Yeah, so yeah. seemingly yeah. unrelated symptoms um, right. are completely interconnected. And then we also look about how emotions can be potentially stored in scar tissue. And especially I think the C-section scar is a really obvious and example that I see a lot. Women have these emotional releases on the table when we absolutely scar and that can create more, you know, flow and, you know, regulation of the body once we address these things. And so better better bladder uh, regulation, better sexual life often. I mean, it's amazing. So, yeah. Absolutely. And we did study in school referred pain. I mean, we do know the nerves, you know, from the appendix affect the low back and the nerves from that mole scar are going to be affecting the upper thoracic. So it does make sense. And then it's even more bizarre when it's, you know, the left shin and the right shoulder, you know, and then you realize how connected the nervous system and the whole matrix connective tissue is in the body. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll go deeper into all of these topics. Louisa, um, you developed a form of muscle testing called MRT, and then you just mentioned this idea of the matrix and fascia and uh, connective tissue. So can you maybe through explaining the role of how the fascia is this communication network in the body, maybe introduce, I know you spend weekends with people um, discussing this, but just um, plant a seed for this being a huge communication network in our body. 
Yeah, and thanks. I mean, again, in my holistic career, I grew up on muscle testing and kinesiology, and I still do it. I love it. I have a colleague in Austria that was uh, an osteopath that was beginning to use this arm length technique. I started using it, and I just couldn't let go of it many years ago. And basically, the arm length, the reflex arm length test, when you pull on the arms and you reach what's called kind of a rubbery stopping point, what you're doing is you're stretching the fascia and asking the body, in, you know, in essence, similar to a muscle test, strong, weak, good, bad. It's more complicated than that, but in general, uneven is bad. Even is good, just like Leonardo da Vinci's canon of proportion. We should have strong muscles. We should have uh, even arms and legs. So what we're measuring are two things, the fascial matrix. The fascia, which is the shrink wrap connective tissue from our dura mater in our brain all the way down to our toes, as well as the connective tissue, the extracellular tissue, which, again, the Europeans talk a lot about the extracellular fluid, which is literally, we know our body is 70% water. So we literally have this ocean within us. And it's not just extracellular because there's direct communication to the intracellular fluid in the cells. When we're testing with this arm length method with MRT, we're testing both the fascial changes and that fluid ocean that is so sensitive. I mean, hair trigger sensitive, unbelievably so quick. So it's, I like it, Christine, because especially like with a new patient, you know, we have this expression crashing. Mm -hmm. so crashing means, you know, you're muscle testing or you're doing this and, and the patient can't communicate at all. It, uh, you know, the, the computer screen goes black. I always tell people it's great, you know, because let's find out what the heck is happening here. But with the MRT, you can whisper to the patient. You can get yes, no information without a defensive, unconscious response. And since we all took antibiotics and we almost, and we all had vaccines almost, we're all kind of autoimmune nowadays. So, you know, we both know how difficult it is to examine and treat a patient that we want to very gently ask. And, un and peel the onion, what's first, what's second, what's third. So this is a way to very gently whisper to the patient and see what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an amazing tool. And I, you know, I don't know how any um, practitioner works without a tool like MRT or ART or any bioenergetic modality to treat the patients we see. It's that the body has this intelligence to prioritize that left to our own minds, you know, it's, it's really guessing, right? I mean, it's educated guessing, but it, it's a, it's just a way to really tune into the patient's body and really individualize treatment. So I, again, um, yeah, whatever tool you resonate with out, out there, um, please learn one because it will help you to help your patients so much more effectively and efficiently, I, I believe. And so, and especially, Christine, with what we're talking about today, because classically uh, they were doing, you know, blood tests and we still do. And uh, of course, x-rays work with dental focal infections, but otherwise there's not a lot of obvious findings, laboratory tests, objective findings uh, to hidden scars or hidden tonsil focal infections, et cetera. Uh, the white blood cells may be elevated. They may not at all because it's chronic. The body has learned to quarantine and hide these things in order to survive another day. Yeah. So it's essential to do some kind of energetic testing. 
I agree. I agree. Many patients come in and like, you know, they've seen all these, you know, really top tier doctors who say that they're fine. They pass every test in the conventional medicine um, world, but they're clearly not well and don't feel well. So I'm in complete agreement. And we have some images. Do you want to illustrate? Yeah, let's start with focal infections and let's start with with the good old wisdom teeth, the third molars and how we know from Chinese element, five element theory from Dr. Fritz Kramer. Yeah, from Dr. Fritz Kramer, who was Dr. Vole's dentist, but basically going according to the five elements that wisdom teeth, for example, are the most common focal infection. And what happens is, you know, you, you know, Dr. Schaffner, Christine, and I will often have a patient come in who says, oh, I have all my wisdom teeth. And, you know, most people would think, oh, that's holistic and that's good. And both of us kind of go, okay, let's check because uh, you have to have enough room in the jaw and uh, to, to handle all 32 teeth. And most of us from the horrible food of the 20th century, are degenerated. We don't have that wide, expansive jaw and cranial and cranium and and um, head to handle uh, all 32 teeth. So often the wisdom teeth are impacted. Sometimes when they're extracted, they're not extracted correctly or incorrectly, uh, in, improperly or incompletely extracted. And what they do, as Dr. Price said, is the body and its wisdom tries to quarantine and hold on to the strep bacteria that's being generated every day, 24-7, from this impacted, irritating wisdom tooth. But it micro-metastasizes to the heart and the gut and other places in the body all the time because the body can't completely quarantine the tissue. So when we're talking about focal infections, we're talking about serious disease if you don't have those assessed, like heart disease. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we have the picture here of the, how the wisdom, the impacted wisdom tooth could be the source of bacteria that affects the heart. And then do you, when you talk about this, do you feel like the meridian system is also um, acknowledging the acupuncture meridian system? Do you feel like that's so very relevant to see the focal infection organ system connection? I have over the years. I mean, it's not a, you know, always perfect, but really we've used that dental chart for 30 years now and it's not always exact, but in general, you know, the wisdom teeth go to the heart and the molars go to the gut and the pancreas. And it's true that you can use that as a good guideline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then do you want to, as we're talking about um, still the teeth, I have this left tooth shoulder pain illustration. Yeah, Another thing that's great, especially for for those of us that at home and are wondering, you know, if I do have a a problem, is that there is an ipsilateral rule with dental focal infections, meaning that if you chronically have shoulder pain, chronic left shoulder pain, you know, nothing helps, you could have a same-sided tooth. Like this is an example of a galvanic uh, dental focus. And I love galvanic dental foci because you usually don't have to lose the tooth. For example, if I have chronic left shoulder pain and I have and my number 19 lower molar, I have a gold crown sitting on top of a mercury tooth or next to it, that is creating an electrical current just like a battery. And that's going to be causing one-sided pain on the left shoulder, maybe left hip, et cetera, on and on. In that case, all you need to do is go to a good biological dentist and get that cleaned up and detoxed, and you often don't lose the tooth. 
you know, again, left or right side, say you have chronic right hip pain, chronic right hip pain, and you go to conventional allopathic doctors and they give you uh, ibuprofen, Motrin, and other non-inflammatory, you know, drugs. You get go to holistic doctors who don't go to my courses, that don't go to Christine and courses, and they do glucosamine or they adjust or do, you know, all kinds of manipulation, et cetera. But with that chronic, again, one-sided pain, you have to look in the mouth. And especially, again, a valuable clue is the same side. And when you find that out, it's fantastic. So we just, you know, really want to emphasize diagnosis, diagnosis, diagnosis is a a beautiful term. Dia, dia is a Greek term meaning see-through. And then gnosis, of course, is the, the beautiful Greek word for really knowing, just innate, true knowledge. So diagnosis is a very important term in medicine to make the diagnosis. Just don't treat that, again, in, in focal infection terms, don't treat that chronic right hip disturbed field it's a disturbed feel, but the cause is the right dental focal infection, the focal infection itself. So mm-hmm. you need to go to the root. Mm-hmm. That when someone comes in, it's very, it happens all the time clinically that there's a one-sided picture and then you could travel that one side up to the, um, a, a dental focal infection. And I've seen that resolve with uh, the right treatment. And I guess since before we go on to the other type of focal infections, again, if someone's thinking, oh gosh, my wisdom tooth is impacted or I have a wisdom tooth cavitation or something to deal with, how do you usually instruct people to find the right dentist? Because the people who are listening are going to be from all over, you know, the country or maybe outside the country. What, What are some good resources to find a dentist who knows what we're talking about? Well, I mean, again, it's great that these patients and you know, I do the same thing, Christina. I travel an hour and 25 minutes to get my teeth cleaned. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's good the dentist in Austin too, but mm-hmm. I want the very best, you know. So I love it when uh, patients get in the car and drive an hour to to go and get it done right. So you want to find your biological dentist from, as we said, the organizations, the IAOMT, the IABDM. Uh, or excellent organizations to find biological dentists trained in cavitation surgery. And I'll just, I wrote a book because there were so many people asking about this. It's got all the information in it. And it's called the five post-cavitation surgery days, meaning you go to a good biological dentist after we assess, you double check with him through plain film x-ray, and then often a cone beam scan nowadays, which is a CT scan, but the radiation is much less than a CT scan in the body. And then you decide, we all decide whether if we have to sacrifice the tooth, if we have to pull the tooth. Now, conventional dentists will just pull the tooth, you know, sew it up, get out of there fast and think they were doing you a big favor. And they're not, because as we know, the periodontal ligament's still in there often. There's dead bone in there. So the word cavitation literally means not only a hole in the bone, but it means that we cavitate out. They literally drill the dead, wet bone out that can be even gangrenous. I mean, that sounds horrible, but that's how that's how smart the body is. It's just quarantined and held that infection as best it could, and then you clean it all out. 
and you do ozone, you hit it hard, it's an acute, you know, acute issue, and you sew it up, and then you do for the five dental days, you stay home at least four to five days if you possibly can. You use your Notasan and Aspersan drops. Arnica, Arnica, Montana is just, you know, of course, a lifesaver, and so many know about that. I like the 200C, mm-hmm. I like the Arnica 200C, not too strong, not too weak. Mm-hmm. That literally will cut down on your pain pills almost to zero. It's amazing. You take Arnica like crazy the first few days. You also take Hypericum Perforatum 200C just to make sure that mandibular nerve or any of these nerves don't get too injured and cause numbness. So anyway, so there's a whole protocol and I tell patients, do it right. Take it seriously. Because when I used to practice in Seattle, a lot of us, we would, you know, 10, 20% of the time, we would have redos. Mm -hmm. We would have to go back to the dentist and redo surgery. Now, I think that's like 1% or less. It just Mm -hmm. never happens if you handle it, if you surround the dragon, like they say in Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, great points. And I'm so glad you put all of your protocol in a um, easy to um, resource book. Cause I, I, again, I agree. It's some, um, some of the most profound work we can do with a patient, but if it's not taken seriously or done correctly with the right resources, you know, you can open up Pandora's box. So and it'll remain a focus. You, did, yeah. you really didn't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. We haven't touched uh, um, too much on root canals. Um, root canals would be another uh, focal infection in the mouth, correct? And how, how, what are, why are root canals problematic um, for people's health? In the research literature, it definitely states that a root canal they have found generates pathogenic bacteria 24-7. I mean, it does. There's pathogenic bacteria being produced from that root canal always. So if you are not in good health, you, or if you get a significant diagnosis like breast cancer or something like that coming up, you do not want to be conservative about these root canal focal infections. You want to go to a proper dentist. You want to make sure you're taking all the good nutrients and remedies, and you want to get it taken out appropriately. Again, so Dr. Weston A. Price in the 1930s said, if you, on the other hand, if you were in excellent health, then you may keep one root canal or so if it is well quarantined and your health doesn't change. So I will say if a patient's on the correct homeopathic constitutional remedy and all these other things and has an, a rather inert root canal, there are times when I, I don't say pull it. I say, let's just keep an eye on it. And again, what we talked about with ipsilateral, how do you keep an eye on it? Well, a patient says, you know what? My right shoulder's been hurting lately. You got to go back to that too. It's, it's a decision to make. And there's some biological dentists that say, get rid of all of them. And they have the research literature to back them up. I don't blame them. And then there's others that are kind of like, let's take it one case at a time. Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. controversial it can be a difficult decision to, to, to sacrifice a tooth. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Now, the good thing is it seems like these um, zirconium implants are working really well. Mm-hmm. So before, you know, we had flipper appliances, which are kind of a pain, although some people that are really ill opt for that because that's the least disturbing mm-hmm. a flipper appliance with a fake tooth in it or a bridge, which can be, can be hard to exactly fit in the mouth. But it seems like my patients that are getting these good zirconium implants three to four months later, after the site has completely healed, five months later, 
they seem to be doing okay with it. The body doesn't seem to be rejecting that zirconium. So that's a nice solution. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we're finding the same thing. And so what Louise is mentioning in in conventional dentistry, often when you uh, take out a root canal tooth or um, a tooth needs to be replaced, they'll use often a titanium implant that has been shown to be problematic for a lot of reasons, and especially in our our patients. So zirconium is a ceramic implant that, um, you know, tends the body. I I know that gum tissue heals a lot better around uh, the ceramic implant rather than titanium. Actually, you get the the gum usually recedes. And so at least there's, you know, the innovation, right, that we're getting better material you know, for, for these things, which is great. So Louisa, I mean, there's, I mean, we could talk, I know more about the mouth, but you did a great job on sharing, you know, this idea around cavitations, especially the wisdom teeth and wisdom tooth cavitations that can be a problem, root canal teeth. And then there are other foci or focal infections in the head, the tonsils and the sinus. And I'm so glad you are going to be talking about this. I feel like maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like maybe nine out of 10 of my patients have a tonsil interference field. I feel like the tonsil interference field is just such a problem with our patient population. So can you share, what are we talking about? Yeah, well, that's my problem. Is I know all about tonsil focal infection because I grew up with lots of tonsillitis, strep throat, ear infections, lots of antibiotics, you know. I know all about that. So a tonsil focus, I like to quote the great Dr. Martin Fisher, who was a professor of physiology at the University of Cincinnati, and he basically says that focal infections are the diseases of childhood grown old. So, for example, we get sore throats and infections and ear infections when we're little. And then when we're, you know, 15, 18, 20, whatever, 30, we're fine, right? We're not getting the infections anymore. So we think we're okay. But what the body has done using that word quarantine again is it has held in the pathogenic bacteria that it couldn't clear through these filtering tonsils, and it's become a nidus of infection, a focal infection in this area. It can be, if you look at the palatine tonsils, it can be a hypertrophied area, meaning the lymphatic tissue was really working hard and it's hypertrophied. Actually, Dr. Issels and Dr. Cotton and other famous pioneers in this in this uh, type of work found that the atrophied, when you couldn't even see the tonsil, could also harbor more carcinogenic and more pathogenic bacteria in it. How do you know you have a tonsil focus? Well, first of all, on our history, uh, we always ask about the childhood. Did you have ear infections? A lot. Antibiotics. Did you have sore throats? Whether it was diagnosed with strep or not, because we know that's not that's not easy to diagnose all the time. But did you have sore throats and colds? Did you have allergies with the sinuses, et cetera? Uh, did you have a lot of allergies, bronchitis, et cetera? All that points to likely sinus focal infections and tonsil focal infections that the body and its immune system is trying to keep contained as we get older. But what happens is we can't contain bacteria. It's always going to drift out. It's going to metastasize out through the nerves and lymphatic system and the blood vessels. And it's going to affect different different areas. I like to uh, call these the five rheumatic fields. I must have a thing with the number five because here's five again. But again, as we said before, the uh, and this this is again, this is from Merck's manual. Now, not the new Merck's manuals, but if you look in the 20th century, again, on the older Merck's manuals, 
it was well known that bacteria, right, bacteria from the teeth and tonsils would travel to the heart and cause rheumatic fever and, you know, uh, all kinds of damage to the heart is very dangerous. And that's why they were so excited when antibiotics came along because children were dying of rheumatic fever. It was very serious. It's a very serious infection. But again, you really need to look at the what's going on in the teeth and tonsils. So uh, five of the areas that can be disturbed from these silent vocal infections, the sinus and the tonsils, are the, the heart, again, rheumatic, uh, because it's affecting the heart. And when we say rheumatic, we mean strep bacteria. Strep bacteria is classic. The kidneys, pyelonephritis, all kind of kidney urinary problems, arthritis, rheumatoid uh, arthritis, et cetera, joint pain all over the place. The gut, the small intestine, and the stomach, again, nowadays GERD or ulcers or whatever, and then the brain. Of course, these bacteria, you know, go through the blood and the lymph, but especially the nerve pathways right into the brain. Now, it's more the byproducts of infection and the dead bacteria and all those particular aspects of infection more than the active bacteria that go into the brain. But we know it's it was discovered in the 1920s. It's called axonal transport, where not only nutrients walk along the nerves, but so do pathogenic bugs and toxins. So anyway, in the brain, you know, you have insomnia, you have anxiety, you have depression, heart, you have palpitations, kidney, you know, chronic urination, heart disease, can often be a lot of fatigue. You don't always associate the fatigue with that, but there's a lot of just that all gone feeling. And of course, kidney chi, we know from Chinese medicine, that late afternoon fatigue, you know, three to five, you just kind of droop. So all these areas can be problems and you wouldn't think about the tonsils or the sinuses. I just want to mention on the sinuses, the sinuses can also be cleared and treated with the upper maxillary teeth. So if you have a dental focal infection in these upper teeth, especially one-sided, you know, again, we ask, is it the right sinus or the left sinus? If it's one-sided, it can often be due to the teeth. But then it can also just be due to the whole infected lymphatic tissue. So tonsils are hard. Sinuses are harder because teeth are more get the stone out of your shoe, right? Mm -hmm. Get the infection out. Do the good cavitation surgery, and you're pretty darn good. It's, It's a great solution. The tonsils and the sinuses are more systemic. You have to treat the whole body. You know, in pathology and immunology, they call it the GALT, mm-hmm. the gut-associated lymphatic tissue, meaning that this lymphatic tissue is from the mouth to the anus all connected. So in order for the tonsils and sinuses to heal, the gut has to heal. Well, you know, I was just at a dental seminar and I was talking, doctor, we were talking about how we used to think the gut was so easy to clear. And now we know from all the damage that it's not, not easy. So the three things I do is number one, do the elimination challenge. And again, that's on my uh, blog, elimination challenge, uh, Uh, test. And uh, what that is, is to find your major food allergy. And most of us that had chronic tonsillitis or sinusitis, et cetera, as children had a dairy allergy. Now, everybody's talking about gluten and everybody's hip to gluten, right? And you get so many patients that are already doing quinoa and millet bread and, you know, mitigating that. But the dairy is tougher. 
because it's it's harder to give up. So I find dairy's the primary allergy, then gluten, then eggs. So if you do the two-week elimination challenge, it's like getting off your heroin for two weeks. You wouldn't notice it, but if you get off of it and then you take it again, you notice it. Same thing with the dairy. You go out and have a grilled cheese sandwich on Monday, on Tuesday, you don't notice anything. But if you avoid that toxin for two weeks and then you eat it, what the body thinks is a toxin, it can be very obvious. So I love that elimination challenge. I remember when I was in naturopathic school, Christine, I bought, I think it was an allergy book by Brostoff and Shalakol, and it was this big, you know, it was that big. And I'm reading all about the different tests for food allergies, et cetera. And then they say, oh, by the way, though, the elimination challenge is the gold standard, which doesn't cost anything. You just do it at home. So dairy is a big contributor. You often have to give up your dairy, but it's not forever. We have this thing called VNR, variety and rotation, meaning after you get better, you can have a wedge of cheddar cheese with your apple. You can have goat ghee alternating with cultured cow ghee, alternating with grass-fed butter, etc. But you just don't want to do the same thing every day. That's how we got to have all these food allergies. You know, wheat used to be 100 different varieties. Now it's three or four. And it's this hybridization that just makes us so allergenic, makes that thymus so reactive, or it mistakes food for a invading bacteria or viral infection. Mm -hmm. So you get people off their food allergies. And then um, you had, did you have a couple other things that you wanted to? Neural therapy, neural therapy. So you can do injection. Again, I use the notosand drops. People, I love the notosand drops because again, they reduce the pathogenicity. You can literally, and everything's so oral. So it's so nice to have something you can put on topically nowadays. You can drop on the noticeand topically, go straight in. Then with this biophoton light, you can right. you can literally laser it in, goes in an inch, inch and a half, don't even have to touch the skin. Mm-hmm. And that's a way to treat the chronic tonsil focal infection or the sinuses. And again, that's one that's good for homework. And pa- again, patients love the noticeand for homework. Mm-hmm. Because they, whenever they start getting a little itchy, throw on some Notasan, and it just helps. But it doesn't kill like an antibiotic. It just transforms and reduces that whole active pathogenic bacteria. So there's neural therapy. There's avoiding allergy. I mean, avoid, avoiding your dairy allergy primarily. And then I like I like the constitutional homeopathy. In Europe, they call a tonsil focus an angina miasm. Again, angina means heart, because we all know, and so did you know Merck's manual in the early part of this 20th century, that it goes to the heart, that it's very damaging, this bacteria. And secondly, that a miasm is an inherited weakness, a tendency towards disease. So I use Dr. Divya Shabra's method. She's married to Dr. Rajan Sankaran in India. Dr. Sankaran's the most famous homeopath in the whole world now. He's fantastic, but it's interesting how he has, he's, and he's gotten, you know, he's put out like 25 books. He's been amazing. Interesting to contrast with Dr. Divya, his wife. She's written nothing, nothing. 
And yet she's really worked on the method. Like, how come we are missing that constitutional homeopathic remedy sometimes? She's always working on her uh, method. So I think her method's superior. I've been working with her since 2009. And her new background method, by the way, which was just refined in Toronto in March before the shutdown, is amazing. Is amazing. If you get the constitution and you remove the tendency towards disease to, you know, be allergic to dairy, to have tonsil and, you know, sinus uh, infections and and all the other symptoms of disease that we have, then the patient can get well. Those are the three things I find that are primary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's excellent. And, you know, I um, as you're talking and we're thinking about, you know, these interference fields and especially the tonsils, you know, we see, at least in our practice, we see a lot more of these children with what we call PANS or PANDAS, where they have this neuroinflammation, you know, that we feel yeah. the, the infections hanging out in their, in their tonsils for all the reasons we've gone over. But do you see that? Do you see that as well? That all the time, PANDAS, and I call it grandis too, because grown up. <laughs> but, you know, it's this whole thing about, you know, sitting there nervous, playing with this, all these ticks, all these involuntary ticks. They used to call it chorea, Sydenham's disease. You know, where does it all come from? Streptococcus bacteria. It's the same thing. Pandas is diagnosed after a strep infection, with or without antibiotics, usually antibiotics. The trouble is the allopaths who have made pandas popular, what's their treatment? more antibiotics. Let's find another drug. The point is I treat them with, uh, again, the Notasan. I get them off the dairy. I use the linden tree, mm. which linden tree, yeah, which that's is fantastic, fantastic uh-huh. herbal. I've cured uh, um, several children's Tourette's and ticks and pandas with that whole protocol. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, get rid of that. But, um, and also diet, of course, we don't want to forget the Weston A. Price diet. One time I was lecturing on pandas at the Wise Traditions Conference. And I always like to lecture on that because I catch people in the audience, you know, they're doing like that with their knee or their, you know, whatever. And I'm talking about pandas and I'm saying, well, you guys feel it. So, you know, see that nervous things you're doing. And I look over the whole audience and they're all quiet and they just had a wise traditions lunch with good fat and bone broth and, you know, grass fed beef and all that. And they are quiet. Nobody's shaking their knee or anything. So that fat, that good diet for the nervous system, that good saturated fat is what we need. Mm-hmm. Great points. And yeah, there's um, so many great tools that are still really overlooked. And I just want to you mentioned lindenberry, right? Did you say lindenberry? Sorry, and that's a plant stem cell remedy, correct? Uh, and so, can you just briefly share what we're talking about with gemotherapy or plant stem cells? Because I feel like those are still often underutilized and really powerful medicine. What it was developed from Dr. Paul Henri in the early 1920s in Belgium, and he took a lot of other teaching. But basically, he, he, his thought was, why are we using these old, mature herbs to make a remedy? Why don't we use a young, vibrant herb with lots of energy? And, you know, he didn't know about stem cells then, but that's what he was talking about. So when you take a young, young plant, either the bud or the rootlets or the seed, and you make a remedy, it is much more potent than an older, mature plant. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what these plant stem cell remedies are. They're very strong and they're very effective. And the linden tree is I remember years ago, I don't know if it's still true, was called the number one selling herb in Europe. 
Mm-hmm. Or anxiety, depression, and insomnia, linden tree. So, yeah, uh, linden is fantastic for children. Get them to sleep uh, at night and then also one to two drops before school mm-hmm. if they need it. And it really, children it can heal so fast. It really stops that ticking and that chronic uh, involuntary movement that's happening in the nervous system. It can really help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I love um, plant stem cells and gemotherapy. I've had you know, my own personal use with them and then also with um, my patients. And I still feel um, that's another underutilized um, medicine. Yeah. So well known over here. Yeah. No, thank you for bringing that up. Louisa, we, in the intro, you did a great job of uh, talking about scars and scar interference and giving people homework to treat their scars at home. But did we, is there anything else you want to go deeper in or cover around the scar part of, of how that interferes with the body's ability to heal? Well, uh, again, I think that it's it's what we learned in school. It's referred pain, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, a scar over the liver can cause right shoulder pain. Well, we learned that in school. Those are the head zones from Sir Henriette in, in Britain. And so it's it happens often along clear neurological lines, but uh, neurological pathways, but it can also help it happen throughout the body because we're learning it's not just the nervous system, it's this matrix connective tissue that is so connected that anything in the body can cause anything. So again, I just wanted to reiterate, everyone with scars should probably do the home treatment. Again, that's on my blog, the Scar Interference Field Protocol, to some degree to reduce that neurological noise, to reduce that irritating thorn because it, it, it can be obviously causing a problem, like incre- too much urination, peeing at night, you know, dysuria or whatever, or, you know, like you said, palpitations or any symptom in the world, or it can be just so quiet you don't notice anything, but at least you want to address those scars and reduce them so your sheet of skin has less wrinkles in it. The sheet of skin is all one organ. And you again, you're, we're trying to make the body as calm and quiet as possible so it can naturally heal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. And I, um, I know probably people might be wondering, um, you, meant, you um, shared that laser, that you had the red laser. What wavelength of light is that? Or if people want to get a home device, is that more of a professional laser? Or, um, I'm sure people are going to be asking about that. So yeah, No, this is a, a 300 milliwatt. 808 nanometer. Years ago, you know, we started out with 30 milliwatt, then we started out with 100, then we did 100, then we did 200, then there was 400. And I have found this 300 milliwatt is just the right strength to go into the tissue and help treat these focal infections and scars. Not too strong, not too gentle. Again, is a wonderful way people at home can do uh, patients or it's only $450. Mm-hmm. We know, you know, 2,000, 3,000 for lasers. So it's a really high quality laser. I call it the Canadian laser because mm-hmm. our Canadian uh, friend has made it and it's been doing it for years. And anytime you go to the dentist, you may want to come home and use the laser. After dental surgery, you want to use the laser. If you get scraped up, you can put the Notisand drops on and use the laser. You know, there's just so many times in life where it's great to have that laser at home and you can treat yourself. And as we were saying earlier, there's such a, we have such an army of holistic individuals nowadays. It's wonderful who are so knowledgeable that they like to do a lot of these things at home. They don't need to come in the office all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
especially in this current climate, having the more tools that people have at home. I'm really passionate about sharing that because we just, you know, we want people to be able to heal at home if they have to be. Well, Louise, we've covered so much and I just so enjoy always hearing you speak and learning from you. And I hope everyone did, of course, as well. And if people want to find um, more about everything you've shared, you have a wonderful website. So can you share how to find more about your work? Yeah, so it's Louisa Williams, ND, naturopathic doctor, louisawilliamsnd.com. And I've got most everything on there. I will tell you, for example, as you know, Christine, they, they won't let us sell Notasan and Aspersan on the internet. So you have to contact us to get those. And then uh, the laser's not on there. You have to contact me to get one of those. But the surgery, five cavitation surgery days is on there. And the MRT method is on there. So uh, yeah, you can find that information on the new site. And you're still seeing patients, correct? And you can do um, homeopathic consultations over the phone. Can you? Yeah, especially, well, the constitutional homeopathic, I mean, you can do that by Zoom, Skype, or phone forever. So you can treat somebody in Tokyo or wherever. As we know nowadays, it's great because it's just a verbal interview. Takes about an hour and a half, two hours, sometimes longer, usually about an hour and a half to two hours. Mm-hmm. And then we just send the remedy and um, then we double check in months, see how the patient's doing. And if we aced it the first time, which we are more and more nowadays, uh, that's it. That's their remedy. We may have to increase potency at times, but that's their constitutional remedy lifelong. Mm-hmm. Just one remedy in that wild. We used to think different remedies, but there's really on, only one distortion pattern sitting back there in the unconscious that is causing our anxiety or mid-back pain or depression or migraines. Mm-hmm. It's wild. It's mm-hmm. wild. Yeah. And Dr. Divya Shabra, I'm so grateful for her in India because she's really, she's the one that we're all following. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cutting edge, finding the exact interview style to get to that one remedy out of the thousands plant, animal, and mineral remedies in the world. Tens mm-hmm. of thousands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such an art of prescribing um, homeopathy, and I'm so glad that you continue to share that information work in that way with patients because that you can have this lifelong tool to really restore balance in your body with whatever stress comes up. It's just, yeah, such a tool to have in our toolkit these days. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. And and I wouldn't keep doing it because it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy at all. Yeah. I wouldn't keep doing it if I wouldn't if I didn't think it was one of the curative things to do. As the focal infections are mm-hmm. one of the curative things, it's good to put our time and energy into that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of your work and your wisdom and being here with us today. And it's just so great to see you virtually. Um, and we'll have to get in person in one of these days at a conference when those happen again. But um, I'm just so glad we're con- able to connect via Zoom today. So thank you. Thank you too, Dr. Schaffner, Christine. I miss seeing you. And thank you, Louisa. Mm-hmm.